nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. It is Sunday night. We are here um, to reflect on Real Madrid's last game of 2019. And joining me to break down another uh, another draw, another game where uh, Real Madrid dropped two points is Ewan McTeer. Ewan, how you doing? Yeah, good, good. Uh, some festive feeling at the Bernabeu tonight. Lots of Christmas songs from the DJ, but uh, at the end of the night, nobody was feeling too festive. Um, Madrid does really well with the whole Christmas thing, like just that city in general. Um, very festive city to be in at this time of year. Um, not so festive in terms of the, I guess, the cheer and the hearts of Real Madrid fans in the Bernabeu, but also on Twitter. You were at this game, um, obviously, and then you also went to the, the post-game press conferences. You pu- published a few couple pieces for managing Madrid after the game. What was the vibe like in the stadium as kind of, there's always, I feel like, in games like this, you can really feel it if you're there, this kind of just restlessness towards the end of the game uh, when Real Madrid haven't put the game to bed yet kind of grows a bit more difficult because the pressure mounts on. There was a part of me, Ewan, that felt like maybe there's like a hint of a of a 2016-2017 comeback at the end. I don't know, a Ramos header or something, but it didn't come. Um, what was the vibe like? Yeah, I got that vibe as well. Uh, well, up until the goal didn't happen, but it did feel like that the last 20 minutes. Like It was a really big crowd, Sunday night, last game of the year, over 70,000, one of the bigger crowds of the season. And under the lights, everybody up for Athletic Club's always a big game, one of the traditional Spanish sides. And towards the last 20 minutes, there was one point where Vinicius um, was on the sideline, I think, and he won a throw-in. And as he did, he sort of just raised his arms and was sort of gesturing, conducting the crowd, getting everybody up for it. And you could really sense that. The crowd were into this. The crowd were vocal, uh, much more vocal than they are for some games, especially maybe like a Saturday or Sunday game at like 12 p.m., 1 p.m. People aren't quite awake yet. They're not quite vocal. But no, this was really vocal. Everybody seemed to be in it together. It had that kind of vibe. And it did feel like 2016-17. It felt like... A goal was going to come and it was going to be a real effort. One of those games where you talk about uh, maybe at the end of the season, if you do win the league and then the goal never came and it just sort of everyone left feeling a little bit empty. I think I got the escalators down from the the press box to the press conferences afterwards and there was almost no chatter. Everybody was just a bit deflated. They quite couldn't believe that Real Madrid hadn't scored after dominating all of the game. And that's the theme, right? I mean, uh, you can you can carry this theme beyond this game. You can you can not to the ex- this extent where Real Madrid really should have scored at least two goals, um, but you know they control play against Barca, against Valencia, not so much. They had a good start to the half against PSG. It was definitely a theme. Today was more pre- prevalent and prominent than I can remember, and um, people were upset about the amount of crosses. I kind of looked at it another way. Um, I thought in any other universe, Real Madrid score at least one goal today. I don't know how Athletic survived not conceding at least one or two. Because you had the whole... Um, and mind you, they actually created a lot through the middle. That, that's what people tend to forget. There were a high volume 
there was a high volume in terms of the crosses put in. Danieli scored from three of those crosses, first of all. I think two of them hit the crossbar. Um, and then the the third one, Jovic gets his head on, and then Ramos uh, nearly scores from the rebound. They, they nearly scored from a few of those crosses. But the other point is they actually had a lot of opportunities down the middle where they tried to break Athletic down, and they did on several occasions. Um, one, Vinicius is dribbling um, twice, actually, and then Benzema's chance, it was in that half space. There was a lot of good movement, a lot of good passing. Um, it's not like they didn't try, is my point. They they definitely tried to go down the middle. There was a lot of good off-ball move, off movement. And um, there was actually, if you look at them passing the final third, there's rarely... Uh, there's rarely a time where someone passes and then doesn't immediately move into space. So it's like it was a very fluid, dynamic offensive performance that, to me, like I think f- fans should actually just consider the the intangible thing of just bad luck in a game like this. They have almost three xG, two point nine five. They dominated the game. They limited Athletic to virtually nothing. Um, apart from a couple chances which they had at the end, which were not even that serious because they didn't even connect with it. Um, Ramos and Militao pretty much kept Inyaki at bay and he was isolated and, and they and they didn't, basically they didn't concede any chances. So is that fair? Were they, this is just some bad luck maybe? No, I think that's fair. Your point uh, should be repeated that they were trying. They were really going for it and not just trying in terms of uh, effort without planning. It was effort and planning, like you say, always moving into space. There was a clear plan. There was multiple plans. There was a plan B and a plan C. It didn't quite work, but Real Madrid did have different ways of trying to break through this back five that Athletic Club set up with, which they don't normally do, but they did for this game. And it's you see a lot of draws with Atletico Madrid this season. They've drawn nil nil so many times, and a lot of the time it's because they just sort of waste the first forty five minutes. They don't do anything. And Saul has come out and criticised that and complained, we need to be at it from minute one. This wasn't that kind of nil-nil. This was the kind of nil-nil where you've gone for it for 90 minutes and it just doesn't quite come off. And the crossing is quite interesting because I think that was Real Madrid's plan A, was try and get crosses into the box. And there was one type of cross that really did seem to work. The sort of in-swinger, get to the byline, cut it back, it never really came off. But there was that cross where, from the right-hand side, the sort of curled out-swinger, towards Benzema, which worked a couple of times. Rodrigo mm. found Benzema twice, almost an identical move. Um, and Benzema got his shot saved, his header saved both times. There was one from Modric as well, same kind of angle towards Benzema. It just went a little bit too far from that kind of cross worked. Um, but most of the crossing didn't. And it was interesting, actually, in the press conferences afterwards, because Geisca Garitano, the athletic club coach, he talked about his tactics and he explained, you know, sometimes we do play with a back five. Um, and then he said, we also wanted to put lots of tall guys on the pitch because he knows Real Madrid cross a lot towards Benzema. And he admitted that that was a tactic of his, was let's put guys in there who are tall. Because some of the guys that played for Athletic Club tonight, they don't usually play for them. Mikel Vesga hardly ever plays. Um, you know, some of the other guys, Lekoui, uh they had three centre-backs in, obviously. Part of that was because they wanted to back five, but you also got the impression part of it was Gary Tano knowing that Real Madrid are going to cross the ball, so let's get some tall guys in there and head as many of these crosses away, which by and large they did, but three or four snuck through, and on another night, maybe one of those goes in. Well, and he, Gary Tano, sacrificed a lot of his offence, I think. I mean, having Inyaki and Raul Garcia up top, Makes sense in a lot of games because they're both very, very good footballers and they can give you a lot of trouble. They they just provided nothing going forward and they did not pressure Fede Valverde at all, who um, 
was the deepest midfielder in this team, but really did not didn't really have anyone pressing him, did not have anyone trying to stop him playing the ball out of the back. He could actually join the attack often. Um and so there's that and and because they they opted to play that way, they sacrificed their offense. But their defense was I know they they dodged bullets here. There's no like don't get me wrong, it's not like they were Atletico peak Atleti um playing in this game, but um they did make it difficult for Real Madrid and at times um probably made it a difficult then than Valencia and Barca did. Not throughout the game, but at times they were very compact, very deep, and um, they just couldn't counter, but they had a lot of bodies in the box to combat that. Um, We'll come back to the crossing and the tactics because there's questions about it. But um, one thing that uh, stood out for me in the the post-game, the press conferences, and obviously you published the quotes, um, there was like this whole line of questioning of Zidane about like... um, So, because Zidane was saying that, you know, I'm disappointed for my players. They had a they had a good match. They had put in a lot of effort, but they couldn't score. That's football, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the line of questioning came in, like, do you need a striker? Will the striker come in Christmas? And it eventually got to the point of, like, do you need Cristiano Ronaldo? And he just kept saying, no, 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 we don't need anything. We just have to keep what we're doing. I mean, he's right in a lot of ways. I mean, there's no one you can get right now who... First of all, is going to bench Benzema, and second of all, if you get anyone in that striker role, he's just basically going to fall into that abyss where Jovic is. And Jovic has had some bad luck too, by the way. That's another one. Um, great ability to leap for that cross and hit the post on that on, at the end there. But no one's going to come in clearly, right? And so, the last time you and I spoke on a post game podcast, I believe it was uh, I want to say the Espanol game. Is that? That yeah, that would be after the Espanol game. That's right. You mentioned like three, in that game that there ago, was. Maybe. You mentioned in that game there were fifteen different goal scorers this season, and mm. um, but if you look at the tallies, basically Benzema has not had scoring help. So at the at at, at one point, are you can you say like the solution is you just have to wait, and in the springtime, everyone's healthy, Real Madrid will just start clicking and scoring goals. Um, I don't know. How do you see this? Yeah, so the press conference was quite interesting. You probably noticed this as well. Often with Zidane, someone will ask a question which he just dismisses and just says no. But then, I love when he if does someone, that. if but then someone will rephrase the question very, very slightly, and then he'll completely answer it. They'll they'll put it towards Zidane as in like, I know you just said no about this, mm. but I'm just redressing this question slightly and then he goes okay and he goes and answers the question anyway but this time he didn't do that this time people were trying to dress up the question differently do you basically do you want to sign a striker someone asked him uh, do you want a striker for Christmas um, and there was a few chuckles Zidane was not chuckling he just said no and then it went on to Cristiano Ronaldo and I think that's the right approach because you mentioned it who are you going to get so right now you have Benzema who's one of the best strikers in the world right now and then you have Jovic who's an up-and-comer who can be really good who can be a bit inconsistent so if you're going to buy someone then I guess you're trying to find somebody in between that space between Benzema and Jovic and I don't really know if you can find people like that at this time especially someone to come and know that they'll be sitting on the bench at Real Madrid and you know, we can all pretend it's like FIFA or football manager. Ah, oh, Cavani would come. Oh, Cavani would be a good option. Or this guy or that guy. Oh, he'd be ready. Yeah, part of football transfer business is convincing the player to come. And nobody's going to come 
to a club where you have an up-and-coming striker and where you have an established guy who's the best player in your team and starts every game. So you have to settle with what you have with Jovic. And we mentioned it. One of the points in my uh, free answers and free questions piece was how unlucky is Jovic? He has one goal. But remember, he just hit the post tonight and he had three goals that were ruled out for offside so far this season. One against Osasuna, one against Leganes and one against Valencia. Add those goals into the mix and for a backup striker to have four goals would be pretty good. Okay, he doesn't. That's the reality. But it's not like he's been bad. He's shown he can finish. It's just been a matter of millimetres in the build-up to certain goals or in him maybe being a little bit ahead of the last defender. He's shown he has the ability. He's just been a bit unlucky. So I think patience because Jovic, I think, will contribute the sufficient amount of goals that you need to supplement Benzema when he has maybe an off night or when he gets injured or suspended. Well, I mean, they, in, in games past, they've had that all, odd goal from from James or Rodrigo or Kroos or Modric or Fede. Um, Ramos obviously chips in. Um, I mean, one thing that we have to also consider is that when you have Hazard missing, it's one thing. When you have Hazard and Marcelo missing, you your basically entire left flank is that's your main mm-hmm. source of offense. So you can, if you if you have one of one of those two, um, then then your your left side maybe becomes a bit more uh, palatable in terms of just watching the team put in some more effective crosses because Mendy still his crossing his de- defensive work rate. Awesome. And the second half, he had one great sequence where he dribbles through two defenders. Gets fouled in the box, in my opinion. And then the referee oddly mm. just says all ball and VAR doesn't check it. But we never heard heard about it again. The refereeing thing is um, something I want to just quickly talk about mm-hmm. at some point in this podcast. But, um, but I guess the other thing to consider is there's this there's there's one thing I guess one one way to look at it is you could say you and when the team gets healthy, um, you basically get like the PSG blueprint where you have Hazard, you have you have Isco in there, uh, Benzema, and you can you'll, you'll eventually figure it out. Uh, first of all, like anytime we, Ram just says that, like at some point, it's it's almost impossible to have everyone healthy. People just come and go out of the lineup. So I don't know if that's a sustainable solution to your problem. Um, but also, I don't know how much exactly changes if you, for example, swapped Hazard for Vinicius today. Because Vinicius created a lot of chances on his own with great dribbling and just couldn't score. I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think because Vinicius I, I, has I been polarizing today. I think a lot would change because I honestly think Real Madrid have depth at almost every position. Benzema to Jovic is obviously a little bit of a drop-off. But like I said, that's part of what you have with that situation. Almost every other position, I think there is good depth. You know, the centre-backs, the full-backs, midfield is a little bit sketchy. But you have Fede Valverde and then he can basically play in any position. One position where you don't maybe have... You have the depth, but you don't have... You have a massive drop-off in quality, and that's Eden Hazard. Because although he only has one goal so far this season, he has four assists, and it's not just assists. It's he just makes things happen. He links up with Benzema better than anybody else can. And I think if he'd been in Vinicius's place today, I think he would have also got past some of these defenders, maybe not in the same manner as Vinicius does with his you know tip-tap touches. Sure. But he would have got past defenders... And then he has experience to make that final pass. And you mentioned Vinicius has been polarising. You have to understand that he's young, but you also, you can say that he's a bad finisher. And not just a bad finisher, but a bad passer in the box as well. He doesn't make the right decisions in the box. He always looks hesitant once he beats his defender. He's the kind of guy that if he just played like beach football, he'd be an absolute 
like the best player in the world. Just beat your man, run around the goal, tap it in. But he just, once he gets into the box, his mind freezes a little bit. And that will come with time, I think. But Hazard is an experienced guy. He's an old fox. He's 28. He's done it for years. He's done it in the Premier League where boxes are packed with big, tall defenders and he finds a way to pick out the guys. So I think Hazard is one player who you can't really afford to lose because the depth for that position, although you have Vinicius, Rodrigo, uh, Lucas Vazquez, all of these wingers, Bale, um, everybody, it's just there's nobody like Hazard in this team. And I think, you know, it's not Vinicius's fault, but I think Real Madrid really need Hazard to come back ASAP. What do you have on your notes in terms of just like plays or players or any moments or whatever that stood out for you in this game in terms of performances or key moments? I mentioned one before. I want to mention it again. The Vinicius, uh, when he won the throne and just just got the crowd going, really sort of jeered, uh, g'd up the crowd. That was I really liked that because that felt like a real bond between him uh, and the rest of the stadium. And then Valverde had maybe two or three moments where I was like, wow, where... You mentioned it, it's partly because Atletic had almost no attack in midfield, but there was so much space and Valverde just drove forward. He just drove forward and had the ball unchallenged and all of a sudden Real Madrid are 20 yards up the field. And he did that a few times. And every time he got on the ball, you felt like something might happen. When Cruz was on the ball, there was crosses going in, but most of them were getting headed away. When Modric was on the ball, he... He was beating one or two defenders, but he was he was driving himself into into um, dead ends because there were just so many defenders. But Valverde always looked like something could happen. And one of the other points I wrote in, in my piece was Valverde did a great job of replacing Casemiro. You almost didn't miss Casemiro because you had Valverde there. He did a good job. But you missed Valverde because the Valverde we've seen in recent weeks playing a little bit in front of Casemiro, that mm. Valverde didn't exist because he had to be Casemiro. So you actually missed Valverde in this game because he had to be someone else. But there was one or two glimpses where he was the Valverde we've seen in recent weeks, where he was driving forward, making things happen. And and that was when Real Madrid looked mo- most dangerous because it sort of disorientated the Athletic defence a little bit. Whereas once they got the ball out wide, Athletic knew the cross was coming in. Some of them, they didn't defend well. But they knew what was happening and they could be prepared for it. Valverde was the the one thing that could maybe shake things up. But because of the position he had to play, um, he just couldn't be quite as as effective so often. Part of me was a bit surprised that Isco was in the lineup, um, especially with mm. Casemiro out, because just sliding that um, fourth midfielder in there against a team in theory like Atletico, who are who can punish you in transition, but didn't today. Um, I would have expected Isco in there just based on recent form, and then Real Madrid also don't play until that next game, I believe, against Getafe on January fourth. So there's a lot of time for rest in between. But this is the. I, w- I was more surprised. I was more surprised that he didn't come off the bench. I can understand that he mm. didn't start because you know, um, I mean, the starting lineup looked absolutely fine to me. But once you realised the way the game was playing out, I thought it was calling for Isco, and maybe part of the reason is because um, Zidane was down one sub because he. He had to sub off Militao for Nacho um, because of uh, boy he had a swollen eye. Um, so maybe he would have brought on Isco if he'd had all three of his subs. But I was more surprised that he didn't bring him on once he saw the way the game was playing out rather than not starting him. Um, that That's another thing I was thinking about too. Um, for all the crossing today and the, the relative, relative ease, not complete ease, but relative ease that Athletic were defending those crosses because they just knew it was coming in. Maybe Isco just provides you a little different dynamic down the middle. Um, 
you mentioned Fede. I thought overall he was pretty good, bar a couple moments, weird, uncharacteristic giveaways when he wasn't pressured. One of them leads to Inyaki in the first half. Um, almost on a break, but Militawa covers the angles and Courtois saves it. Mm. And um, Kroos, for all the for all the times he's labeled as immobile, static, whatever, he's pretty underrated in tight spots. He can like he can dribble past multiple players if he needs to. Um, that basically that that play when he hit the crossbar, he yeah. he dribbles past a couple of players, gets in, and then just had some bad luck. I mean. These are the margin. This is the margin of error, you and of like, the tone of how fans and journalists will perceive this game and the line of questioning to Zidane. If any of these, the following sequences go in, I bet you we don't see any of those questions at press conference. And I, I bet you it would have been three or four nil if one of those first half chances had gone in. And Zidane even mm-hmm. said that he said, you know, if, if we score one of them, it changes the whole game. You know, yeah. uh, the matter of millimeters of those chances early on in the game decide the whole game. If one of them goes in, Atletico have to attack, maybe they move away from the back five, and then you can hit them on the counter and you score three or four, and we're all like, okay, Merry Christmas, Real Madrid, three points, yeah. uh, joint leaders. Yeah. It's um, it's a game of millimetres, it's a game of luck sometimes. Yeah. Um, and we have to remember how good Real Madrid will be playing in recent weeks. You know, Let's not freak out because of one game. Uh, people are putting it, framing it in the way that, okay, two no-nos in a row. Okay, the other no-no was the classical at the Camp Nou. That's an anomaly. That's a different uh, kind of sport altogether. But in terms of Real Madrid's recent form against the rest of La Liga, they've been really good. So 1-0-0 at home when they should have won is nothing to get too worried about. I think if they maintain the course, don't freak out too much. Um, the next time, one of those chances will, will go in and it's a completely different game. I think the frustrating thing, obviously, is that this is this is not an impressive Barcelona side this season, and yet they're still top of the table with two points clear somehow. Um, I think that, I guess at some point, you just have to tune that out and just trust in your team to, to turn the gears up in the springtime, which is something that Zidane classically does. Um, what did you think of Bale's performance? Obviously, he's not getting whistled anymore. Um, a dramatic turn of events in terms of his, his reception. Mm-hmm. Um I I didn't really see see it entirely. I I gotta admit because tur- dur- during the end of the game, I'm mostly writing my immediate reaction, so mm. I'm kind of half watching, half taking notes, and I usually go back and watch it later. But um, I was surprised that people thought that Bale didn't seem interested in this game and wasn't up for it. The very first thing he did when he came in this game was pure like classic alpha Bale, where he cuts inside on his left foot from the right and unleashes a complete stinger that no one else in the field was even capable, but also wasn't shooting from distance at all up until that point and nearly scores at the far post. But um, what did you think of his performance? Yeah. So two, two things I want to say here. Number one is, is you sort of just mentioned the point there, but the long range shooting, I was a little bit supri- surprised that one of the plan B's wasn't to take more shots from distance because you have guys like Cruz and Modric who can do that. And I, I wonder if part of the reason why they didn't want to take shots from distance was because they knew if they did, it would be about 50, 60 seconds before the ball was back in play. And I think that was actually part of the, the reason why they didn't shoot from distance more because that was a good option. You have guys to do that. If you're not getting in through the middle, through the crosses, maybe try that. But Bale, as you said, he had one shot, which which was, yeah, a stinger. If it went in, absolute golazzo, a little bit wide, but, but that's fine. The... The attitude of Bale thing was interesting, right? There was one moment 
maybe not maybe about 10 minutes after he'd come on and the ball was if you're watching on TV then on your on your left hand side the near corner flag and there was a long ball over and the ball sort of bounced kind of slowly and Bale was almost there and you felt like he could reach it you felt like if he'd even slid in he could have slid it out for a throw in rather than a goal kick and he just sort of jogged there and when he reached the byline the ball was like only just had gone out and the guy I was sitting next to we turned to each other and we both kind of said the same thing. If that was a Wales game, Bale is going in there, he's sliding. Even if he can't keep the ball in play and create an attack, he's sliding in there to make it a throw-in instead of a goal kick. And that one moment was like, like yeah, you can put in that little bit extra effort there and just win the crowd over. The exact same way that Vinicius won the crowd over when he did something similar. So I was a little bit disappointed in that. But apart from that, I think he did seem... He seemed interested. He was one of the guys sort of leading the the late charge. But there was that one moment where you were like, man, if you had, you could have got that ball. Like, it wasn't a lost cause. And I don't know, that really stuck with me. That was a moment that, that, that stood out. Interesting. I mean, this uh, this is one this is one frustration I had with Bale last season. And I kind of, I, I can't say I saw it coming, but I, would, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised that it's kind of unfolding in a similar manner. Last season, if you remember, under Lopetegui, Benzema and Bale started in really good form, and everyone was like, "Oh, this post Ronaldo thing might actually it might actually work in Real Madrid's favor." You know, there's this cohesion. Bale has stepped up, and then Bale just kind of, in a way, lost interest as the season went on, and just wasn't that player. Um, and I kind of have a similar vibe this season in that I'm not pinning any of the team's issues on him, and the team is still in a good position in all three competitions, obviously. Um, but he does need to score more, and um, with some better luck, maybe scores in the camp, no, and whatever, but whoever it is, whether it's him or Hazard, Benzema just needs some some scoring help at some point. Um, Any other notes that you wanted to share? No, I think we kind of discussed most of the points. There's a few, I guess, we'll get onto with the with the questions, uh, some really juicy questions there, so uh, maybe they'll bring up a few more points. All right, so let's skip to questions. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Go get guaranteed responses to your questions. Get access to a bunch of bonus content. Um, you should know by now the, the weekend show, this show, is the only free show we do per week. We do about three to four episodes only for patrons uh, per week also. And even though this was Real Madrid's last game of the, the year, we're not done for the year yet. We still have one loan tracker to do, which goes up for our patrons. And a very busy weekend for Real Madrid's loan news with Odegaard goal, Odegaard assist, Mayoral goal and assist, Oscar Rodriguez assist, Atra playing well. So a lot to talk about. Again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge and get access to bonus shows. Chris Wilkie's our patron, says, Is it Mendy or Mondi? Um, quick question. Why does Gabe insist on pronouncing Mendy as Mondi? And why aren't you correcting him, Keon? It is this is is either way correct somehow? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Mondi. Thanks. Do you want to do you want to weigh in on this as a as a Scotman, Scottish Scottish man? Well, I mean, my voice is hard to understand at the best of times. So, I mean, if you can if you can more or less work out which name I'm saying, then I'm happy. I think technically it should be Mondi, but that that's too French. If I say that, it, it sounds like it's like if someone said, "Oh, where did you go for holiday?" Like, "Oh, I just got back from Paris." It's like no, you can you can you don't have to put on the French accent all the time. I mean, 
I'm I'm going to stick with with Mendy. Maybe over time I'll move to Mondi. Maybe I'll do like Monday or something. Uh, but I think Mondi is the correct way. But if I if I pronounce it that way, it, it maybe sounds like I'm trying too hard to be French, which I'm quite clearly not. Um, with whatever trace of French Canadianism I have left in me, <laughs> I can confirm it's Mondi. But um, it is kind of, you're right. I mean, like, at, at what point do we just pronounce everyone's name in their native language and not in the flow of the English that we speak? But I guess the counter to that is, how come we don't call Henri Henry? <laughs> it's the same <laughs> idea, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, far more importantly, um, Alex Perez <laughs> says, do you guys have any updates on our injured players? What is the... What is the timetable for their returns? Hazard, James, Marcelo, Vasquez, and Asensio. What do you got for us, Ewan? Are you sure it's Hazard or is it Hazard? Or <laughs> are, we, are we going there? Or is it James <laughs> and not James? Oh, no. <laughs> you remember the headline? Like uh, some British James newspaper? Bond or it was something? Like, yeah, it was like uh, the name's James, James Bond, which <laughs> if you read it in like a, the way we know James, it just sounds ridiculous. Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, speaking of. Of, of names let's go through let's go through them name by name I guess in terms of of the players who are out injured and, and timetables basically the way I see it the information I know is this is the order they're expected to be back uh, Marcelo is a close well James is the closest to be being back James is basically back but he's just not quite fit um, and then of the other players you've got Marcelo is the next closest Eden Hazard is the next closest Lucas Vasquez is the next closest and Marco Sensio is still some way away. So uh, I guess with Hazard, that's the one everyone's interested in. Uh, Real Madrid play Hetafe. Their next game is on 4th of January. He's a massive doubt for that. But they do reckon he'll be back just in time for everyone's favourite tournament, the Supercoppa in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, can't wait for that. Um, that sounds about right. Do you think... I mean, I, 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 I would be surprised, but I'm curious to know. Do you think that Asensio will play at all this season? Mm-hmm. You think, I think he will. in the springtime we'll, we'll his, see his, a prog- his progress is going a lot better than it was supposed to be. I mean, ACL is about nine months. Um, you know, you you basically have like an, a baby and your your knee gets pregnant. You have a baby nine months and then you get back. And Asensio got injured, obviously, in like uh, July, August time yeah, in July. the preseason. So people expected he wouldn't be back until about May, but already he, he's he's progressing a lot quicker. You know what Zidane's like. He doesn't want to bring anybody back too early. But I think April, May time, he'll be back, especially because if he comes back in about April time and has, you know, two months or so, two full months to prove himself, he could still be in the Spain squad for the Euros. And I think that's something that would be important to him. So, no, I definitely think we'll see him. um, And I think we might see him as early as April time because by all accounts, his his injury recovery is going really well. Okay. Um, All right. We have three questions that kind of follow the same train of thought, and I'm going to lump them together and uh, and go through them together. So Ian Marley says, uh, as I mentioned in the post-classical podcast, our post-classical thoughts, this team needs another finisher other than Benzema, someone who can create chaos like Vinicius, but a more clinical finisher. We need someone who, combined with Benzema, guarantees us a goal game. Otherwise, we'll see many more draws. Um... And I stood by that belief since last season, and I still do. Rovi Tahiev says, The first half against Valencia, Barcelona match, and now the first half against Athletic, um, as, at the time of writing, the second half hasn't started yet. Our finishing is still a big problem, despite creating so many chances. 
Hopefully after the break, the team will improve in this department. Otherwise, it will be a problem in La Liga against Manchester City. Um, Varun says, uh, the La Liga, some La Liga stats for you. Barcelona's uh, goal scorers, Messi 12 goals, Suarez 9, Griezmann 7, Real Madrid is as follows, Benzema 12, <clears throat> and the next highest is Rodrigo at 3 goals. If this continues in the second half of the season, we cannot stand a chance of winning La Liga if Karim is the only goal scorer. Dear Kian and the team, what's the solution? Why bail why Bale and Hazard are not scoring for months now? Any quick solutions for this? And finally, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy says, Tired of this, three draws in the last three games. We should have won all three, but I'm up. I'm, uh, our finishing has been disgusting, and now it's starting to irritate me. We've been playing well, and up until the start of the three games we played recently, we have, we have been scoring, but even in those matches, we were missing chances that we should normally score. Um... And so this is the similar train of thought. People concerned about goal scoring outside of Benzema and uh, and solutions. We kind of talked about this. Do you have anything add, to add to this discussion, though? Well, Ian's, Ian's line there, I like this line. Someone who can create chaos like Vinicius but a more clinical finisher. Uh, that guy exists. His name's Eden Hazard, and he'll be back from injury pretty soon. So as we sort of mentioned before, I think that will solve a lot of problems. Um, because Hazard is a guy that that can do what Vinicius does and a bit more. And then with the, the stats, the stats really they're really interesting to me actually. That Benzema has twelve, and that the next highest is Rodrigo with three. But if you look at the two teams, Barcelona have their Real Madrid are top heavy. They have one person who's really heavy in terms of goals at the top, and then almost a big drop off, and then lots of people with one or two or three goals. Barcelona are top heavy, but they have three players at the top, uh, their MSG front three, that are really top heavy with goals. But after that, their drop off is even bigger. So it's just that these squads are constructed differently. Real Madrid are going to expect goals from Benzema and then one or two or three from about 15 different players. Barcelona are going to expect, you know, all of their goals more or less to come from those three players. And that's what's happening. So, um, I don't think it's necessarily a problem if, if nobody is right there behind Benzema with Suarez or Griezmann numbers because both of these squads are constructed differently. The other thing I'll point out too, <clears throat> in addition to that, is that Barcelona's front three have consistently just been their front three. And Real Madrid's front three, the only consistent figure, has been Benzema. Hazard, you can classify as consistent, but he missed some time at the start of the season, obviously, so he hasn't been there and then he's only recently come back, so it takes time. Um, and that, that third attacker is completely uh, a guessing game on who it is any game. It's It was James, it was Bale, it was Isco, it was Rodrigo, it was Vinicius. And so they don't have that consistent presence and consistent string of playing time just for the sheer fact that Zidane hasn't really found the guy there um, who he wants on a permanent basis yet. And so, but, you know, the MSG have played consistently together. I will say this about Griezmann. For all the, the shit he gets... That guy has bailed out Barcelona on several occasions with his goals um, and has been an important contributor, even on the left, which, as you know, as an Atleti fan, um, is not his best position. He's still scoring goals from that position. Um, and so he's been bailing Barcelona out on several occasions. That That's what Real Madrid don't have right now. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Griezmann's uh, being a bit unfairly criticized because it's a new club. You have to adapt. And also, I mean, he was still 
he was still scoring pretty much the same rate he he used to do at Atletico Madrid. You know, he's not your main finisher. That's what Messi and Spires are there for. He helps you create, and and that's what he should be judged by. So, so yeah. Um, one last question. This is the best question. Nicole, <laughs> Nicole Gantz says, "How much? How does everyone involved with managing Madrid actually know each other? Gabe and Keon and Om, how did you all meet? And how did you meet all the other people who come on the show, like you and Sam, Lucas, Eduardo, and even Diego and everyone else?" Let's start with um, you. How do we well, the it? first time, well, we, we sort of had a romantic deck chairs date outside the the Bernabeu, didn't we? I think that was the first time we met. No, because no. Oh, man. No, that was not the first time at all. What, what was the first the time? The first one was when uh, you and David were interviewing Luis Garcia in that hotel in Madrid. And I. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time. It was really that through was. David Garrido. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, you came along, and and I think I spoke to you for about ten minutes, and then uh, I had to go. But um, the the bromance was started, and then yeah, we sat outside the burnabout one time with deck chairs, and we should do that again. Actually, what um, happened to that? We should bring that was really fun. We just you just you're not that doing that fun. anymore. La Liga Lowdown went more audio and less visual, but uh, the mm. deck chairs are still there. They're under my bed, gathering dust. And um, I mean, it's, it's we should just the do end that of December. For fun. Maybe not in winter because we'll look a bit strange. And also, the view is not quite so good because it's construction. all the construction work. Yeah, um, that that park is I, I, unrecognizable now. I I yeah, actually I, I did not know how to get to the metro last time I was there because <laughs> there's no access to the metro. You have to like go around. I had to actually jump over some bushes to get to the metro. Yeah, I tried to find you last time, and and I don't know where where you disappeared to, but um, yeah, um, yeah, we should do that again one time. Um, but yeah, I guess that's how we met. I even forgot. Um, but yeah, everyone just kind of came together, and obviously we all kind of met everybody, each other at the live show. Um, well, the one you guys did first of all in New York, and then the one we did in Madrid, um, just last month. Yeah, I mean, uh, the answer, the short answer is we all met each other online, and then eventually got it, got. Uh we're able to meet each other in person. So Gabe and I met in New York for the live podcast. I have yet to meet Om. Um, Matt, I'm assuming I'll meet at some point on the West Coast for a podcast. Vancouver, we're looking at, but we also might do Houston. And Sam, uh, I met at the live show in Madrid. Eduardo, I've had a coffee with several times before. And Diego, I met in Barcelona once, but before that I was doing a podcast with him for at least a year before I actually met him physically in person. So, and now, you know, we're all, we're all just, you know, we're all constantly connecting online, offline. So it's just a blur now, but um, that's the beauty of technology. Um, all right. Final concluding thoughts, Ewan, for 2019 that you want to leave us with? Where do you see Real Madrid season heading from here? I see it. I see it positive. I think, I think the start to this season has been better than most people expected, no? Because the end of last season when Zidane came in, Henry. it wasn't good. And for Real Madrid to be just two points behind Barcelona at this point in the season when they've already been away to Barcelona, away to Atletico Madrid, away to Valencia and away to Sevilla, I think that's a good position for Real Madrid to be in. And in the Champions League, you've got Manchester City. I can't wait for that clash. So 2020 is going to be... It's going to be great, I think, because there's lots of crunch games coming up. And I think Real Madrid, despite this draw to end the year on, they are giving off good vibes, I think. I agree. This is, a, honestly, if you, I think I was trying to lift some of the fans up after the game. Like, if you look at the performance more so than the results in the last three games, I think you should at least be a little bit encouraged. Because I'm not sure if you get these performances 
I'm not sure you get these performances essentially um, like two, three months ago. And I, so I think the team has come a long way. Certainly it's come a long, long way since last season. That's not even a question. Um, and uh, and things are just in a much better place than they were. And they are not, they are not uh, playing catch up in La Liga yet um, to the extent that they were last season. There's a lot of good things happening. So I agree. I, I, I am cautiously optimistic about this season, and I generally am cautiously optimistic. Last season was pretty much the only season that I was just I basically submitted to the will of the football gods. But um, I think there is room for optimism for sure. You and McTeer, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Wish you the happiest of holidays, um, and however you celebrate and spend time during these uh, these next weeks or whatever. I hope you stay safe and have a great time in Madrid. Thanks, my friend. No problem. Always a pleasure. Happy holidays to you and to all the listeners. Question. How many faking they streams? Getting they plays from machines. I can see behind the smoking members. Niggas ain't really big as they seem. I never say anything. Everybody got their thing. Some niggas make millions. Other niggas make memes. I'm on a money routine. I don't want smoke, I want cream. I don't want no more comparisons. This is a marathon. And I'm aware I've been playing a bet from a lack of promotions. I never was one for the bragging and boasting. I guess I was hoping the music would speak for itself. But the people want everything else. Okay, no problem. I show up on every one album. You know what the outcome will be. I'm betting a thousand. It's got to the point that these rappers don't even like rapping with me. Fuck it, come on, nigga. 21 Savage just hit me and told me he sent me a spot. On a new record he got. He called it a lot. I opened my book and I jot. Paper Takashi, they want to rap. I picture-